Do take a seat. Uh, tonight we'll be uh, looking at Acts chapter 4, uh, 1 to 31, and can be found on page uh, 1095 in the Red Bibles. Uh, we have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their, pe- to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. 
Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of the Lord. Tom, thank you for reading that. Do keep Acts 4 open in front of you? Because uh, we're going to spend a few minutes uh, looking at it together. Uh, but as we do so, why don't we pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. Um, and as we come to look at it tonight, uh, Lord, we pray you give us confidence in it. Uh, and we would see the Lord Jesus through it. Amen. Well, uh, it... Uh, as we we're saying, this is a time uh, of year where lots of people arrive in Manchester. So if you've just arrived, you are very welcome. Uh, if you've just arrived back, maybe from summer holidays or something like that. Uh, maybe you're a student, you're thinking, you know, there's still three weeks to my lecture start or something. I don't know when they actually get going. Um, but it's wonderful to join us on uh, in these evening services because we are looking at how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, goes out from that early church to the ends of the earth. Uh, that's the, the, the title of our series, The End of the Earth. And it's amazing, as you look uh, at, the, at these uh, readings in Acts, at how ordinary, unschooled people suddenly become these bold witnesses to Jesus. How, how what starts as a, a small, fledgling church proclaims a mighty message. And what's all more amazing is that's continuing today. And that's what we want uh, us all to see as we go through Acts. Uh, if, if you've missed the first few weeks, uh, or if you've just forgotten, uh, Acts uh, is kind of shaped um, by Acts 1, uh, verse 8, uh, which says, but ye, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So there's two things going to happen. There's power going to come through the Holy Spirit to these people, these ordinary people. And they become Jesus' witnesses. And that's what we're charting through Acts in Jerusalem, uh, which is where we are at the moment, Judea and Samaria, which we'll start to see next week, and to the ends of the earth. And it started well. If you were here last week, uh, Acts 2, we saw that the Holy Spirit had to come on the disciples. We saw that they were the witnesses as uh, Peter proclaimed that very first evangelistic sermon. Uh, and many people responded. A church was formed at the end of, uh, of Acts 2. Uh, if you've missed them, go back and, ha- and have a listen. They're, they're all online. And so we've got to the point where these apostles, uh, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, are being witnesses. And so we get to chapter 3. Uh, And that's the important backdrop to uh, what Tom's just uh, read to us. Really, chapters uh, 3 and 4 go together. We couldn't read them all. Um, So you get to chapter 3, and Peter is beginning uh, that bold, uh, continuing, sorry, that bold witness. So what happens is uh, Peter and John, uh, about 3 o'clock one afternoon, are going up to the temple, and as they walk up the steps uh, to go into the entrance to the temple, they see a beggar. Uh, begging because he, he is lame, he can't walk. Uh, 
And of course, everyone else is ignoring this guy. They're just walking through, uh, you know, seemingly tunnel vision going into their, into their prayers. But Peter, as he walks past, stops. He looks at the beggar and says, as we can read in, in chapter 3, verse 6, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And the guy does. This lame beggar gets up and walks. Now, understandably, that causes quite a stir. You know, it's not the kind of thing you expect to happen as you're walking up to the temple. You know, when you've been happily ignoring this guy for years, and suddenly he's standing there, you're going to wonder what's going on. And so a crowd forms. And Peter doesn't miss the opportunity. He, he launches into his second evangelistic sermon, telling people that it's the, it's the name of Jesus that's healed this man, the, the guy that was crucified, the Lord of life. He was crucified, but who God raised from the dead. He shows them from the Old Testament that this is uh, the promised one who was coming. And he calls them to, to repent, to turn to Jesus. It's the same evangelistic strategy that's in Acts 2. And that, you know cut people to the heart, work so well, and so we get to the start of Acts 4. And if you're reading this for the first time, and unfortunately I know we're not, so we often miss this, but imagine you're reading Acts for the first time. If you've not read it before, you've got an advantage. You get to the start of Acts 4 and you think, here we go. We're going to see the same thing again. People are going to turn. We're hearing Peter's message. It's the start of the church. They're going to get a bit of peace. Uh, and we're going to see this influx of people coming, uh, and we get uh, to uh, chapter 4, and we realize we're full of surprises. And it starts with the opposition uh, of the rulers, elders, and teachers. Look at verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guards and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Luke, who writes Acts, the first thing that happens after the first church is formed, another evangelistic sermon but a completely different reaction. The first thing that happens is opposition and persecution. Actually, it's a pattern that we'll start seeing throughout Acts uh, from this point on. As the gospel advances, so the opposition increases. Actually, sometimes the opposition that forces uh, people out uh, and uh, spreads the gospel further, as we'll see next week. Uh, But the pattern of the church right from the very beginning, gospel proclamation brings opposition. And if that's true of the earliest church that had those very eyewitnesses of Jesus as their leaders, then can we expect it to be any different today? You know, if we look around... Uh, and think about the, the church. The world doesn't mind a church that's happy to fit in with the way that they think. The church, the world doesn't mind uh, a church that just kind of helps out in the community every now and again, or, uh, you know, is, it, they're kind of tolerant as long as the church isn't too dogmatic. 
But when a church starts boldly proclaiming Jesus as the only way, truth, and life, that there is a future judgment coming, and the only way of salvation is through Jesus, who died and rose again. When they start saying that Jesus is the Lord and Messiah, when a church starts making those bold and biblical claims, it shouldn't be surprise us that some opposition comes. It's been that way uh, throughout church history. But just before we go any further down that route, because... Uh, Luke doesn't just leave us in that doom and gloom. Don't miss verse 4. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Not everyone opposes. Actually, Luke uh, makes sure that we see this, uh, this glimmer of encouragement. Many believe the church that started just as a small group is now 5,000 people. It's not too bad, is it, really? And that's, again, true today. We don't know how people react as we go and boldly became about Jesus. Will uh, they oppose? Will they believe? And we're kind of left uh, at this point in Acts 4, wondering, what's going to happen? Where's this going? And then suddenly... Well, actually, what's happening to Peter and John in prison? Verse 5, because we're going to see another surprise in Peter's uh, bold responses. Because the next day in verse 5, Peter and John appalled before the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin. That was the the ruling council of of Judaism. And so they had uh, all authority over uh, the Jewish way of life, and they were particularly concerned uh, with upholding Jewish orthodoxy. So as these guys have been standing on their temple steps, kind of rocking the the apple cart, proclaiming this whole kind of new way of uh, of Judaism, you're kind of going to get the idea they're not going to be best pleased. You know, Sadducees don't even believe in the resurrection. And these guys have been proclaiming that Jesus brings the resurrection. Now, I don't know uh, if you have ever been to court. I have. Now, before you get worried, uh, it was as jewellery service, um, not as anything else. Uh, but I, you know, even though I, uh, I hadn't done anything wrong, going to court was nerve-wracking. Every day you walk in, you get scanned by some metal uh, detector with about three security guards surrounding by you. You get uh, shown to this little room where you have to wait, and then formally marched along a, a corridor to sit in a specific seat in a courtroom to wait for a judge to come up, and you have to stand, uh, and then you have to sit there listening to, um, well, some horrendous stories. It's quite nerve-wracking, and I knew I'd done nothing wrong. So imagine uh, Peter uh, and John going into this court. They must have been pretty nervous. You know, they were ordinary, unschooled men, we're told. You know, how easy would it have been for them to just, we'll just keep quiet. We'll just dumb down the message uh, a little bit. But no. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 8. And so in response to his question, he, he launches into this, this bold speech. Let's pick it up in, in, in verse 10. Then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I mean, he's not holding back, is he? It is the name of Jesus whom you crucified. He's almost turned the accusation totally back on them. I've just done something kind. I've just healed this guy. You crucified Jesus. And it rocks the courts. Now these ordinary men have an extraordinary message and, it, and the court just can't even deny that the miracles happened. You can see that in verse uh, 15. Uh, and so they think, I know what we'll do. We'll, we'll tell them to stop speaking. Look at verse 18. And then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now again, you know, maybe this is just me, but you kind of think, uh, Peter and John, you know, all right, yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll dumb it down and we'll just accept that. But actually, you know, maybe we'll just carry on doing it while they're not listening. But no, that's not what they do. Verse 19, uh, but Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. If you think about it, it's actually, what a question to put to the Sanhedrin. Who are you going to listen to? I mean, surely the answer to everyone is obvious. We're going to listen to God. But remember, Peter and John have been told by Jesus, by God himself, that they're going to be witnesses to him. They follow Jesus throughout his ministry. They've seen the miracles. They, they've heard the great teaching. They've seen the crucifixion in their own eyes. They've seen the empty tomb. They've seen the risen Lord Jesus. They can't help but speak about something like that. It's natural, isn't it? Think about the, the, the best, most exciting thing uh, that you've seen. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a great holiday. Maybe it's your wedding day. Uh, meeting someone famous, whatever it is, when it happens, you couldn't help talk about it, could you? You went to people and said, guess what happened? It's amazing. Uh, and the same is true for Peter and John. They've seen the most exciting, the most significant thing uh, in the whole history of the world. Of course they can't help but speak about it. And the court don't seem to quite know what to do. Uh, so they threaten them a bit more. Uh, and, and, and send them on their way. And so off Peter uh, and John go to the church uh, and tell them everything that's happened, uh, the, this new church that's formed. Uh, and again, I think if you, uh, you're reading this for the first time, particularly uh, in a modern-day context, you, you've got to think, well, how are the church now going to react? Yeah, we've seen uh, uh, Peter and John, their apostles. Great. What about the, the church um, at large. You know, if someone comes to us today and says, we've been persecuted for our faith, uh, we've, been a, we've been opposed, then what do we do? Well, I think typically we, we pray for them, um, but we pray for God's protection. Uh, we pray that there might be peace for them and peace in the country uh, where uh, they're from. Uh, we maybe pray for the, uh, the perseverance for them to keep going. 
But look how this first church prays, which is our third surprise. You see, they don't pray for protection. Actually, they don't pray for the opposition to end. If you read the prayer, actually they recognize that this is the pattern for all God's people, including the Lord Jesus. So instead, they ask for boldness. Let's read the prayer. Verse 24, halfway through. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, lords, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your words with great boldness. Stretched out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I mean, what a prayer. They're not, they're not shrinking back. They want to be a bolder witness even though they've just faced their first opposition. Now, I think often we look uh, in this sort of situation as a church and we think we're on the back foot. But this first church, they were active and boldly going towards people with this message of Jesus. And what's more, we know that their prayer was answered. Verse 31, that's what verse 31 is saying. Look, they're filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Boldness, a bold witness. And so I think as we, as we sort of fast forward and from that first uh, early church and fast forward to us as a church here in Manchester in 2019, I think there's some... Uh, patterns here um, that we want to take note of because we want to be bold witnesses I hope you know we've got a, uh, a vision uh, here for Platts build the base uh, and reach the city reach the city be bold witnesses for Jesus in this city of Manchester and beyond uh, and as we go and do that and I, I think uh, this is one of the great things about looking at Acts because it calls us to do that uh, Acts is uh, primarily a book that's making us certain that Jesus is, is still working at building his kingdom, uh, even today. But he does that through witnesses, through the church, the church then, as we're reading about, and the church now. Uh, and so as we go out as bold witnesses, we need to go out despite opposition. As I said, opp- opposition is inevitable if we go out and, and boldly proclaim this message. It's an unpopular message. Opposition shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said it would come. Look at John 16, 33 later if you want an example of that. And it's been the way throughout church history. Uh, And let's be honest, in some of the ways, it's not as bad for us, is it, than it has been. Uh, We're not under the immediate threat of violence or even death um, as many are throughout church history. And let's be honest, many are around the world. 
uh, as they witness to the Lord Jesus. However, we also don't want to downplay the fact that the words that people say to us, the, the little rejections, are still painful. We still face the opposition. It shouldn't surprise us, but it shouldn't stop us. We have the best message in the world to proclaim, the most exciting thing ever. We shouldn't but help speak about it. People need to hear about Jesus. We know about the salvation that's only achieved through him. That's why at Platt, you know, if you want to know what Platt is about if you are new, uh, one of the things we are big on is speaking about Jesus to the world around us. Because it's, it is what the world needs to hear. Um, and remember, don't forget verse 4 in all this. You know, it's not guaranteed that we're going to get opposition. Some will believe and be added to our number. So we go out uh, and speak um, bold witnesses despite opposition. Uh, and we're bold witnesses as well through prayer. That prayer of the early church, I think, is a great one to copy. You know, when we do hear uh, of ourselves facing opposition or others facing opposition uh, as, as churches, then let's pray for protection, of course. Pray for protection, peace, and perseverance. But let's also pray for proclamation. The word of God to go out boldly. Let's be praying Platt does that, continues to do that. Not shying away, but reaching the city uh, as we pray, we will boldly go. Now, prayer is, a, it, it is an important part of this bold witness because it shows it's God's work. It's he who opens the hearts uh, of people to hear this message. He gives us boldness to speak. So a bold witness despite opposition through prayer. Uh, and thirdly, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know about you, uh, but there have certainly been times where I've uh, somehow plucked up the courage to speak of Jesus to someone. And then afterwards, well, how on earth did I get that courage? And where on earth did the words come from that I've just said? Uh, I think that's the Holy Spirit. Helping us in those situations when we are going out to boldly proclaim the word of God. If we are Christians, we have the Spirit within us. It's not an optional extra. He is there. And he helps us. One of the things the Holy Spirit does is helps us to boldly uh, proclaim and witness to Jesus. We, we see it there in verse 31. And it still goes on today. The Spirit is pointing people constantly to the Lord Jesus. And that's where all this kind of uh, draws together we're a bold witness, finally, to the name of Jesus Christ. Actually, that is the big theme that's run throughout these couple of chapters. I don't know if you spot it as we, as we went through. Um, 3 verse 6 is where it begins, where Peter tells the lame beggar to walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In 3.16, uh, Peter is explaining the miracle to the crowd, and he says that it is faith in the name of Jesus that has healed this man. Then in 4.7, Peter and John are questioned, by what name did this miracle happen? 4.10, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. At 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 
in 4.17 and 18, Peter and John are told not to speak the name again. And finally, in 4 verse 30, the church's prayer ends asking for those healing signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, the whole way through uh, this, there's no doubting it's the name of Jesus that is at work. It's the name of Jesus that performed that miracle. Not, not Peter, but Jesus through Peter. And Acts is showing that that uh, continual work of Jesus to build his kingdom is continuing. It is carrying on. Even though he might not be on earth, his name continues with power and authority and action. And it's the name of Jesus that's proclaimed and witnessed to. Never once do you read that the apostles or the early church saying, look at me. Look what I've done. No, they're always, look at Jesus. Look what he's done. And it's the name of Jesus, I think, as well, that gives the motivation for their bold witness. What, you know, what makes unschooled, ordinary men uh, and women risk their lives to speak of the Lord Jesus? Well, I think the climax to, uh, to Peter's speech in verse 12 uh, probably shows it the best. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. These are people who get that Jesus is the only way. He isn't one God amongst many. He's not one of many ways to salvation. He is the one and only way. You know, as we look around... Uh, the area in which we live. And we see, uh, we are surrounded by many other religions. We have to think, well, what's verse 12 telling us? Actually, all those other religions aren't achieving what their followers think it is. There's only one name under heaven given to us, to all people by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. And the early church know that. They see it, don't they? Because they proclaim the name of Jesus. People are cut to the heart and they're added to their number. And the gospel spread from that early church, going out from the first apostles, as we'll see through Acts, reaching to the ends of the then known world. And it's continued. Continued and continued. And it's reached us here in Manchester. And we are here today in 2019 because people continued that bold witness. They knew that people had to know about Jesus because salvation is found in no one else. Uh, And as we get to 2019, that witness is continuing because the name of Jesus is still saving people. He is still at work. I know sometimes we look around and think, where is it? Come to one of our baptism services. You'll see people from around the world standing up here being baptized in the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus still saves 
and Jesus is still at work. And if you're a Christian here tonight, then you're part of that ongoing witness to the Lord Jesus. Despite the opposition that will come, of course, through prayer in the power of the Spirit. But as we start this new academic year, maybe it's a chance uh, where lots of things have changed for us to think, how am I going to do that? How are we going to do that as a church? Be a bold witness to Jesus' name. It's the name that saves and is still saving today. Should we pray? Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Lord, thank you that you have given us the Lord Jesus as our salvation. Lord, thank you that we are here tonight because people have boldly witnessed to him throughout uh, the centuries uh, since Acts was written. Thank you that people are still boldly witnessing to Jesus around the world today. And we pray that at Platt, we would be a church that continues to do that. Continues to be a church that takes the name of the Lord Jesus out to the city of Manchester and beyond. Because we know for certain that Jesus is still at work building his kingdom. And his name saves. Lord, give us confidence in that. Confidence to speak boldly and confidence in our faith because you have revealed to us the name that brings salvation. Amen.